Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For they are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and they are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and they are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. On this, uh, on this Father's Day, we thank you, our God, that you are our true and loving Father. We thank you that all we're thinking about and have already heard come from the lips of Jesus, the most loving uh, one who has uh, our best interests at heart. And so we pray that your word would be our rule your spirit our guide, and your glory our main concern. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look on the screen is where we've been in the last uh, few weeks as we have this little series um, called Living in Love and and Faith. And the question that we come to today is this. Uh, Can we and should we still hold to the Bible's design for marriage and sex in 2023? That's the heart of the question that we're, we're dealing with. Our culture says no, very firmly, to to hold the Bible's position that marriage is the lifelong union between one man and one woman and the only place for sexual activity. To hold to that position is now considered not just out of date, uh, but bad for human flourishing, uh, whereas like evil or bigoted are, are thrown around. And in our group of churches in the Church of England at the moment, we're in part engaging with this uh, topic because the the bishops and uh, our governing body are proposing uh, in July, um, voted on in in November, uh, prayers or services uh, that would uh, bless relationships between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And they're saying in that that they're not changing the the doctrine of, of marriage and yet in practice to change Uh, liturgy, 
uh, would be doing just that. And many of us are here, maybe this is the first you've heard of it, but for many of us, we're struggling with a whole range of emotions. Maybe it's confusion, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's um, sadness or fear or pain. Perhaps we have uh, family members or, or colleagues who are same-sex attracted, and we, and we care about them, we love them, of course we do. And we think, um, even as we look at the Bible, we think, well, how can we, how can God deny marriage or sex to anyone who wants it? Isn't it a sort of basic human right? Isn't it our very identity? And we feel emotionally torn as we approach this topic. We all feel that. Perhaps we're here and we face uh, temptation for sexual intimacy with someone of the same sex. And we're finding all of the media coverage just particularly raw and hurtful and personal uh, for us. No doubt all of us are unsettled about what the Bible says. Because if the bishops are saying it's okay, shouldn't we? And today I want to strengthen our convictions all start to persuade us of the conviction that the Bible's picture for human sexuality and marriage and singleness is really good and is really good for all of us and for our society. In fact, it is the only true foundation for human flourishing, not something that we need to be ashamed of, but something that we need to courageously, lovingly hold out to our very confused culture. And so the headline for us this morning is that Jesus holds to God's design for earthly marriage because it points to God's invitation to heavenly marriage. If you don't take in everything this morning, I hope you might just hold on to that statement. Jesus holds to God's design for earthly marriage because it points to God's invitation to heavenly marriage. Marriage. We'll see the connection between that. And we've got this little outline of where we're going, a starving culture, an earthly picture, and a heavenly reality. And let's start with our starving culture. Uh, in the sexual revolution of the 1960s, some of us would have uh, been a part of that, our culture, in effect, set out on a search. And the assumption then and today was that if we take sex outside of the shackles of male and female marriage, then that will be good for human flourishing. Let's do that as a culture. And yet, a reflection on those years, a reflection on the statistics and the the fallout of that shows a very different picture from good and Flourishing actually shows a picture of disappointment and heart and, and hurt. For a start, interestingly, the statistics show that people are having less sex. No one quite knows why, but it's certainly true. More people are living alone. A man called Robert Putnam in 2001 wrote a book looking back on those years, and he called it Bowling Alone. His observation was that Americans now belonged to fewer organizations, met friends and family less often, and they used to go bowling in bowling leagues, but now they went bowling alone. And the decision, the search, has affected many groups of people, but generally it's affected the weak and the vulnerable most. 
it is children especially who have paid the heaviest price and the, the unborn through the collapse of marriage, the, the rise of cohabitation. Women are more exposed to instability. Since the 1960s, uh, the exploitation of women through porn and sex trafficking has exploded. Men are, are worse off. that They often live apart from the, the positive effect of marriage, civilizing effect of marriage and responsibility and commitment. Men, you would have to say, are hardly flourishing. And, and those at the top of the social categories are 48% more likely to marry than those at the bottom. In other words, the, the vision of the, the middle-class intellectual elite has had its fallout on the poor. Taking sex outside of male-female marriage has not led to the good and flourishing that people hoped for. As C.S. Lewis, the Oxford scholar, put it this way in a sort of unusual way of putting it, but he said, suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theatre by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? This makes an interesting point. Do you not think something's gone wrong in a world that treated food like that? And he's saying that something has gone wrong in our culture. Our attitude to sex, which is everywhere, shows that we're starving. But we're not starving for sex. There's more, available of, more of that available than there ever was before, even though we're having less of it. And the problem is that we've looked to, to sex and, and the one perfect partner to give us purpose, to give us our sense of identity, to be our redemption. But sex was never meant to bear the weight of all of that, and so our, our mental health has been affected. It's been smashed. We're, we're creating more and more and newer and newer identities, and we're exhausted. We're starving as a culture. But Jesus offers us a better story. A better story, a story of a permanent, stable identity in the love of God. And the way into understanding this is firstly an earthly picture. And we'll come to that, and I'd love it if you'd turn to page nine hundred and. 93, just to have that open. Let's look at this earthly picture. In Matthew 19, uh, Jesus is drawn into a debate about divorce. And the question is, will Jesus lower the, the bar on, on divorce? And the answer of Jesus is no, that he holds the bar high. He says there's one circumstance for divorce, it's where there's been sexual immorality and the covenant is being broken. See, Jesus held to God's design given in creation of marriage between a man and a woman, and then he says that sex is only for there. That's the language of one flesh. 
that he uses a bit later in verse 5. They'll, they'll leave, they'll, they'll get married, and then the one flesh will, will happen. Now, it is very tempting in, in the debate that we're in at the moment to just major on what, is, what God is against. Sometimes we're, we're heard just to talk about what God is against. But God is for so many things. God is for so many things. There are three that particularly come out in, in, in his design of marriage. One is passionate love. The other is faithful love. And the third is, is unity in difference. So, so God is for sex. God's not embarrassed by it. He's not embarrassed that he made it. It's good. It's designed for enjoyment. It's designed to express that first one, passionate love. And God is so for it and so for us that he puts it in the safety of, secondly, faithful love. He knows that sex has the potential for good, but the power for harm. And then he defines faithful love as marriage, the unconditional permanent commitment, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, so that both would know that in that relationship they're safe, that they can give themselves fully to the other. And God is, thirdly, for unity in difference. He's for men and women. He longs that children would grow up with the close, lifelong exposure to both male and female humanity who together reveal the image of God. And he blesses that with the potential for fruitfulness. Only sex between a man and a woman has the possibility of generating new life. So do you see earthly marriages to combine those three things? A passionate love within faithful love, which is a unity in difference. This passage, chapter 19, is a very important passage in the current debate. It's a sort of go-to passage. It's helpful for us to, 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 to know of it. And it's helpful because people would sometimes say, look, Jesus doesn't mention uh, homosexuality, so he must be fine with it. And look, if Jesus is fine with it, then the church should be fine with it too. But, but although the Bible doesn't record Jesus mentioning it. Jesus isn't neutral when it comes to sexual behavior. So in Matthew 15 verse 19, just up on the screen uh, there, Matthew 15, um, Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. These are what defile a person. And that word sexual immorality, just translate the, the Greek word porneia. It's the same that's in uh, chapter 19, verse 9 as well. And it refers to all sexual behavior outside of marriage. Jesus says that that behavior is, is unclean. It defiles us. We can't come to God. We need forgiveness for it. And then in Matthew 19, you see, he defines what marriage is. So sex outside of marriage. Then he defines what marriage is. And let's read chapter 19, verse 3. Jesus, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus goes to Genesis 2, before the, the fall, creation. And his starting point is that men and women have real, created, given genders. They're not in, interchangeable or for us to choose. Both, both men and women are needed to image God. And therefore, both are needed in marriage, two, two distinct people, each with distinct glory, because God loves unity in difference. So let's just put that together so, so far. Uh, sex outside of marriage, Jesus says, is sin, and marriage is between one man and one woman. And that means that, that all of the following, according to Jesus, from his loving lips, all of the following are, are sin and fall short of God's design, block us from God. Um, so, so premarital sex, casual sex, pornography, um, sexual activity of, of people of the same sex. Je Jesus says all of those fall short of God's design are, are sin. And, and Jesus, you see, holds that only this version of, of marriage and, and sex, he holds to only that version because it's the teaching of the whole Bible, not just a few proof texts. I wonder if you can see it. I wonder if you've ever looked at it and been persuaded for yourself. This is the place to look. What do you make of what Jesus says? We need to be convinced ourselves. Are, are you persuaded by what Jesus is saying? That is what Jesus says is the teaching of the whole Bible. And actually, as we heard last week, liberal scholars, the Bishop of Oxford, would agree that it's unambiguous as you look at the Bible that this is the case. It's just that they would say, we don't like it, and we need to change it to fit with our, our culture. And friends, all of this means that in the crisis we're in in the Church of England at the moment, we, we can't just agree to disagree, much as we might like to emotionally. We can't just walk together on this because sex and marriage are too central to the, the whole story of the Bible, of who God is, of who we are. And look, of course, if, if sex outside marriage is sin and all of us fall short at, in various ways, all of us, at least in our minds, then, then sex outside of marriage affects people's eternal salvation. And so to say that, that God blesses it when he doesn't, we'd be telling a lie. That's not loving people. In fact, it can jeopardize their eternal salvation, the eternal salvation of our fellow human beings. And that's why um, this is called a first order issue. So there are second order issues in the Bible that we might agree to disagree on, whether you baptize children, whether women preach, the nature of the end times, we could agree to disagree on, on those because they don't affect our salvation. But issues of sin do. They're of the first order. And so we need to resist the, the prayers of a blessing that the Church of England is proposing and, and call for repentance. And, and we can all do that as individuals. It's not just the leaders of the church, although they need to contend. Just on the screen here, it was mentioned last week, this um, declaration that you could sign on the CEEC website. Some of us were at the conference with them yesterday. The Church of England Evangelical Council 
It's a helpful website. There's a declaration. We could all stand. But of course, it's not just individuals. If it goes through, if this vote goes through, then we need to contend together as a church to show that we need something that's visibly different to this other message. Something that's structurally, legally different as well. And conversations are happening about what that might look like. But all of this needs to be done with with grace and humility. We speak the truth, but in love. For we are all sexual sinners. And the things we're talking about raise lots of things for all of us. And alongside this, we long to hold out the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus that all of us need. Because Jesus doesn't say any of this with animosity or, or, or hatred, but in love to promote the good of all people. But even as I say that, the question remains, how can this be good for all people, for their flourishing? And the first part of the answer is, as we've heard, that God's design for marriage is actually good for a whole society. We've made the debate all about us as individuals. And we've seen the fallout on our society of that choice. But when Jesus' sexual ethic first came into the darkness of the Roman Empire with all of its promiscuity and ugliness, Jesus' sexual ethic brought stability to the world, transformed that world into the civilization that we've benefited from in our lifetime with the equality, the dignity of the human body, Consent, things like that, that we enjoy, that we take for granted, but came from and only from Jesus' sexual ethics. That's the first answer as to why it's good for, for flourishing. But the main reason is this third point that we come to now. The main reason it's for the good of all people is this heavenly reality. See, we cannot understand why Jesus holds to earthly design without understanding eternity. And back to Matthew 19, just have a look down in verse 10. The disciples can't understand when Jesus talks about this. So verse 10, um, verse 10, they, they say, Jesus, this description about lifelong marriage is too heavy. It's just better that we don't marry. Verse 11, Jesus says, not everyone can receive it. But then he points to a group of people who do receive it. And they're quite a surprising group. He calls them eunuchs in verse 12. They're a group of people who, for a range of reasons, don't have sex. Some don't have a choice. Others choose it. And the question is, what could be so good that people then and today would choose to make themselves celibate, would choose it? And the answer is in verse 12. Do you see verse 12? They do it right at the end. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that there are some people, when they get what the kingdom of heaven is about, they realize that it's, it's so good that it's worth denying themselves in this life to gain it. And what is at the heart of the kingdom of heaven? Well, the Bible says it's the love of God shown in a marriage between God and his people. That's the Bible's story from beginning to end. See, we think 
that the starting point of this debate is this sort of human construction down here called marriage. And it's sort of something that we can play around with. It's sort of interchangeable. Who, who, who can opt in like that? But that's not it. The real starting point isn't down here. It's up in heaven with the original and true story of a prince and a pauper. A prince and a pauper. Jesus is the prince. Jesus is the prince of heaven, pure, perfect. And he sets his love on us who are so different to him, far below, flawed, dirty. And yet he knows the worst about us and loves us anyway. That's the heart of the Christian good news. He loves us passionately, faithfully, takes the shame of the cross, takes our debt, our sin, including our sexual sin, upon himself and gives us his righteousness and then is united with us in a unity of difference. And God gives us earthly marriage down here to help us understand heavenly marriage up there and to invite us into it. So have a look at Ephesians 5. It will come up on the screen. Ephesians 5 helps us with this. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it is about Christ and the church. Do you see? It starts up there. And then it comes down here so that God creates male and female to be different, to reflect the difference between God and us. And all of this down here he creates as a father to show us the beauty of his son, Jesus. That's what it's all about, marriage down here, to reveal the beauty of Jesus. And so earthly marriage... It's kind of like a film trailer. I don't know what the latest blockbuster this summer is. I'm not sort of caught up on that. Maybe you are. But earthly marriage is like a film trailer for the summer blockbuster. And as, as usual, they include in the trailer some sort of you know, romantic scene because they want to get us. They know what we're like. They want to get us to watch the real thing, the film. See, marriage is not a human idea down here that we can play with. No, it's God's invention, and it's his word to define, therefore. And so if we change it, if we say, you know, it can be, um, you know, this configuration or, or same, uh, in man and woman, same, same thing, we're actually playing with what God is like. Just like if someone changed the trailer of a film, you could end up going to the cinema and looking for the wrong film, right? Or you could miss out. And it's the same if we start changing the, the, the trailer. See, Jesus holds to God's design for earthly marriage because it's designed to point to heavenly marriage. To show that God's love is, remember, passionate love. That's why sex is given. You ever wonder that? Why does he invent sex? In part, it's to show that God is passionate, intimate in his love for us. So it's to show God's passionate love. It's to show God's permanently faithful love. And it's to show unity in difference of the heavenly marriage. Now see, if, if this life, let's come back to the debate. If this life is it, 
If this life is just about sex, if our very identity and our self is tied to sex, if we have to have it by rights to be human beings, well, well then of course for the Bible to deny that to anyone would, would seem unjust or, or arbitrary. Christians would be morally awful as the world says that we are if that is what life is about. And of course, that's how our world configures the whole debate. But that is not. That's not what the Bible says that life is about. Sex is, is not to be our identity. There is the offer of the real thing, the real heavenly marriage for all of us, whether we're married or single, whether we're heterosexual or same-sex attracted. And so the headline for all of us in the light of this heavenly marriage is that all of us are called to a life of repentance and faith so that we hold to God's earthly design and we live for that heavenly marriage. Let me say that again. All of us are called to a life of repentance and faith so that we hold to this earthly design and we live for that heavenly marriage. Some thoughts for us all on, on how we might hold to that and live for it. And some thoughts for married and those who are single. If we're here and we're married, receive your marriage as a good gift from God. But don't live for the trailer. <laughs> live for the reality for the film, the feature-length film, the marriage that is to come. In your marriages, you are to live out the shape of the gospel, a picture of it as husbands lay their lives down sacrificially, as Jesus did, as women look to the loving leadership of husbands. We're to live out the shape of the, the gospel. And there's some questions for us in that area. I wonder, do, do we give the impression as a church that true fulfillment is found in earthly marriage and sex? Do we give that impression to one another? Do we give that to single brothers and sisters within the church family? Is our only conversation with those who are single at church, um, ha have you met that, that special person yet? Is that all we have to say? which just sort of fuels the expectation that that is what it should be, rather than celebrating and supporting them in their singleness. Has our thinking bought in, in other words, into the world's lie that, that singleness is some sort of second-class way of living, second-class way of Christianity? Another question. Is it easier to settle here at Christchurch Bromley if you're a family with 2.4 children? but maybe harder if you arrive and you're single or, or you're divorced or, or you're a widow or you're struggling to conceive? I don't know the answer to that. I just put that out as a question. Are our homes and our families turned in on marriage as an idol to be protected or turned out to bless, to, to fill the isolation that others may feel? 
Can we fill the gaps with our marriages in other families? Maybe, maybe there's only one mum or dad in, in a family. Maybe one is a believer and the other isn't, and they feel that keenly. Maybe someone's a widow. Can we fill the gaps? Many of us are doing that. Can we promote good friendships in this church? Can we make more of friendship for single and married folk? If you're married, you need friendship as well as your spouse. You need good, healthy, intimate friendships. Men especially, you need friendships. You need to grow them. That's why that thing on the 30th is good just to do that. We need other men that we can be honest with who will bless and support our marriages. Can we be a church of friendships? Jesus says in Mark 10 that those who follow him lose so much in this life. It's costly to follow. But then he goes on that they can expect to receive, and he lists them, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and he expects that to be met in the church as the main family. This is to be the main family, not the nuclear family. And, and, and other questions for marriage. Will we deny ourselves? Will we deny ourselves as we resist adultery, as we fight uh, porn, as we seek help from others to bring that out of the darkness and into the light? Finally, will you seek help in your marriage to make it better? Please come on the 11th of November, to our marriage morning. All of us need help. Some of us may be in a particularly hard place in our marriage at the moment, and you've seen this, the thing up there on the screen, and you've, you've just decided not to mention it to each other because things are just too hard. Please come. Please believe things can be better because God is the God of hope. So look, some questions there for those of us who are married. Some reflections for us if we're single on how we can hold to this earthly design and live for the heavenly marriage. Firstly, God does not think that singleness is second rate. God thinks that the single life is as beautiful and dignified as married. It's what Jesus thinks. Jesus holds it in very high esteem. Of course, Jesus never had sex, and yet he was the most human being that there has ever been. Paul established the church as a single man. And one of the, one of the terrible things that the bishops of the Church of England are doing is to side with the culture and in effect give the message that if you're not married or having sex, you're kind of living a half-life. And what is so hard is that you've heard that from the culture for so long and you've resisted and, and now you're hearing it from the church, from your bishops. But would we really want to say that a widow in a care home is less human because they're not expressing their sexuality? Surely not. They're fully human. Made in God's image. Many of us are single for different reasons. Uh, some have maybe never wanted to marry. Others deeply long to marry. Maybe we've never been asked. Many of us here are widowed and divorced. Others, like in, in Matthew 19, like the eunuchs that Jesus mentions, are, are making a choice. Maybe we experience same um, temp uh, sexual temptation with those of the same sex. 
And yet we're choosing a celibate life and we're doing it for the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said. And Jesus honors you for that. Jesus honors you for that. And we do too. You're not alone in our church family in making a choice like that. There are others here who've chosen not to marry someone who doesn't share their faith. And we want to support you all in that. With those who are same-sex attracted, we need to say that we've not always got that right. Sometimes we've caused hurt as a church. And we want to repent before you of that. And with God's grace, do better. All of us, I think, would find this website, livingout.org, helpful. It reminds uh, us in that situation, if you're single, that you are not wasting your sexuality, as our culture would say. You're not wasting it. You're deploying it to point to and not undermine God's love for the church, that picture, that reality of his passionate, faithful love, which is a love of unity in difference. And so if if marriage shows the shape of the gospel, singleness shows the, the sufficiency of the gospel. It, it, it shows all of us, those who are married, that marriage in this life is not enough, but that Jesus is. You show us that, and we, we know that doesn't mean that singleness is easy, that you're showing us that. Contentment doesn't mean that you won't be sad. or It's not ungodly to groan for earthly marriage. But together, you see, we're all being called as a church, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, to deny ourselves, to live lives of repentance and belief as together each one of us lives lives for the heavenly marriage. That's what we're all to be living for, not just sort of earthly marriage down here. And so if you're married, don't live for the trailer. Live for the reality of the film. And if you're single, you have the reality in Jesus, even if you don't have the trailer. And one day, all of God's people will experience the fullness, the passionate love, the faithful love, the unity and difference love that the trailer points to. And as we close, the Bible finishes with Revelation 21. You may know it, that beautiful glimpse of the marriage of God and his people. And it tells all of us that the wedding banquet is still on. It's in the future for every believer. Are you here and, and you think marriage is in the past? No. The, the, the love you thought you'd lost, the love you never had, was only ever a trailer of the real thing, the scent of a flower that you've not yet seen. It all still awaits us. Because at the end of history stands Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of his people. He stands at the top of the aisle if we could put it that way, we have marriages. He stands at the top of the arm and the groom stands and he turns and waits. And Jesus, as it were, stands at the end of history and he's waiting for us, his bride. And he is smiling as he turns and sees his people coming. 
because he delights in us. Delights in you. You. And his message to us is, you will be satisfied. You will be home. There is a well of love in my heart for you that will never run dry. Let's pray. Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Please help us to receive this picture, this reality as the gift it is. For, for some of us, that just raises questions. This just brings back hard things to us, hard things from the past, memories. We pray that you would walk with us. Grant us forgiveness for past failure and strength for hard things. Help us to receive this and together to hold on to earthly marriage as it points to the heavenly marriage that we will all enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen.